you to another edition of the Dugout Podcast here on WFI with myself, Andy Wales. And this, of course, is the podcast that brings you a variety of different footballing topics from a broad range of perspectives from all around the world. Uh, today, I welcome back to the show Lee Scott. He's a lead analyst for Total Football Analysis and author of the books Mastering the Premier League, the tactical concept behind Pep Guardiola's Manchester City, and his new one that we're going to be discussing today, King Klopp, Rebuilding the Liverpool Dynasty. How are you doing, Lee? I'm good, thanks, mate. Thanks very much for having me on. Pleasures, pleasures all mine. Like you say, uh, it was welcoming you back. I mean, it was just over a year ago we spoke uh, before you, the Pep Guardiola book was launched. Um, how, how did that one go then? Do you, was it received well? I think so. Um, all the feedback I've got has been positive about the book. Um, seemed to go down well with the people that have, have bought it and, and reviewed it and contacted me about it. I think that people kind of got what the book was for. It, it wasn't so much for me to to show off or anything like that. I was just trying to write down almost a simplified version to an extent of of exactly how Pep Guardiola set Manchester City up over the period that he covered and, and why that was so effective. I just wanted to make sure that it was written in such a way to make it accessible so that people who had an interest in, in tactical writing and, and tactics around football could could ex- access the book, if you like, and access the information in it. So, yeah, I'm really happy with the way that it was received. It seems to have gone down well. It's been bought by publishers in a few different countries now. It's going to be translated into different languages. So everything seems positive. Excellent, excellent. And uh, one thing I do remember from that was you predicting that um, Fernandino would be moved into a centre-back role. That's what you foresaw. So uh, a little pat on the back there for you. Thanks so much. Yeah, I I had a feeling. I mean, obviously, we we all know that Pep Guardiola has a, a habit of that anyway. He has a habit of taking central midfielders and then moving them back to play in the centre defence. It just seemed logical that Fernandinho would kind of make that step. And I think it went relatively well. I think that it's interesting that this summer he's gone out and signed Nathan Ake. There's, there's continued rumours that he's also going to sign Kalidou Koulibaly, which would give him three left centre-halves in the same squad. So definitely interested to see what's going to happen next season. Yeah, I'm sure there's some people um, puzzled at that one. We're, we're used to right-footed centre-backs playing uh, on the left and being able to cover, but it's um, I guess it's it's more that it's a rarity having left-footed ones that um, it, it's almost like the mind can't compute that you can actually... Left-footers can also play the other side. Yeah, of course. It's, I mean, there's nothing to say that a left-footer can't play on the right and a right-footer can't play on the left. I think it almost... It just seems to give more balance to the team if you have the combination of a left foot on the left and a right foot on the right. It's more pleasing to the eye for many of us, I think, more than anything else. But you're absolutely right. Professional players, what side of a defence they play on if they're a central defender shouldn't make that much difference. No, we're, I, I've both my sons are defenders, even though I was an attacker, um, and both are right-footed, but both prefer playing on the left side of, of a centre-back. So, um, so there you go. Uh, anyway, enough of enough of left-footed centre-backs. So that was the Guardiola book. You've now released um, this Jurgen Klopp book, uh, King Klopp. Uh, was it always your intention to do a, a book on Klopp, or was it just that it seemed a natural progression after you'd done the Pep Guardiola one? I think that in the first instance, it was never my intention to write a book in the first instance. So it, it's a little bit 
but once I'd written that first book, it's almost like, well, should I go off and write another one? And, and I knew that I wanted to pretty much as soon as Master in the Premier League was released. And to me, it made perfect sense to cover Jurgen Klopp next because he's another coach like Pep Guardiola who I've been fascinated with for a long time from a tactical perspective, but also from a, a personal perspective and a team building perspective and a cultural perspective, if you like. I think that it, it was a natural progression to move on from covering that Manchester City team to having a look at this Liverpool team because obviously what we've seen from Liverpool over the last 48 months or, or two seasons, if you like, the, the last two two seasons that they've played, it's been remarkable from a, a tactical evolution point of view, from a, a squad building point of view, and it just it made sense in terms of subject matter to move on to him next, I think. And in terms of actually putting the book together then, I mean, can you share some insight in, into the work involved in, in that? Because, I mean, I know you say you're simplifying the, the, the tactics and whatnot, but in order to study and piece this all together and break it down, there must be an immense amount of work involved in all of this. Yeah, I think that I'm quite fortunate from a, in, in one sense that I've been writing from a tactical perspective now for for a good many years and I've kind of got down to a fine art in terms of being able to watch a game and process what's happening it's it's almost viewed football through a different lens I'm sure that you're the same when you view football you you have a slightly different way of seeing a game than I do and the listener does and and the person you're sitting next to in the stadium does and that's a natural part of football so kind of what makes football so appealing to me but I I've got to the stage now where I can watch a game back on, on double speed when I, I download the footage from Instat or Scout, and I'm able to process what's happening from a tactical perspective a little bit quicker and that kind of sped up the process. So throughout the season I was watching Liverpool games or watching Liverpool games back and the concepts just kind of start to click into space. You can see the reasons that, that Klopp moved Trent Alexander-Arnold at the right half space to give more control to Liverpool in possession and the fact that that then led to Jordan Henderson playing out on the right-hand side when they were in possession because they needed still needed width on that right-hand side. Or the way that Roberto Firmino would drop from the ninth position into the midfield and by vacating that highest line, it then let Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah attack from outside to end and how everything kind of worked together just started to make sense a little bit. So it, it was okay to a point when I came to start researching the week properly I kind of knew what I wanted to write and knew what had been going on and it was just a case of putting my thoughts down into some kind of coherent form. I think that the hardest part and the most time consuming part of writing these books is doing all the tactical illustrations because that takes a little while to sit down with with the program on the computer and just map everything out so that it all kind of makes sense to the reader as much as anything else. Uh, See I know Sometimes when I'm writing an article, it, it it can flow and I can have it done, you know, in a matter of a few hours. Uh, other times I can be pondering over sentences and paragraphs and it can take me three, four days to finish a piece. That's only like seven, eight hundred words. I mean, what what kind of time frame are you looking at there then to, to complete a full book? It's not too bad. Um, you can I could get most of my writing done over the course of a couple of weeks. Um, three, four weeks at the most, really. Um, I'm quite used to it. I'm quite quick writing now. I do have those same issues. I have I have issues with writer's block, with analysis block, if you like, and sometimes it's just not making sense, and that's when I have to kind of step away and take a break from it. 
But once I sit down to actually start writing and to, to focus on what I'm doing, I tend to be quite quick at moving through it. Um, I can't step away for too long from a chapter if I'm halfway through it because then I come back and the flow is gone. So I kind of try to get a chapter done in, in one or two settings at the most, if you like, just to try and work it all down on paper. But then, of course, it, the, the process has to start then. When you, you finish the manuscript, you have to send it away and then you get checks back from, from proof checkers or editors coming back to you with questions about this or that and seeing if that was your intention. So it is quite a long process from start to finish, but it's worth it to get the finished product, I think. In terms of structure then, I mean, I'd, I'd had a look on um, Amazon and then there's a little sneak peek there of the first chapter uh, with Trent Alexander-Arnold. So is in terms of the structure, is is that, you know, piece by piece, then you're, you're breaking everything down player by player? To an extent, I mean, the way that I do it and the way that I did it for both books, I think, is that I break down some of the main concepts first. So um, with the first book of Pep Guardiola, it was things like playing out from the back, the role of fullbacks, um, the fact that the number eights played as tens in possession, that kind of thing. And it was the same with the Liverpool book. The first chapter, you're right, is Trent Alexander-Arnold, but that was more talking about his role within the team rather than for him from an individual basis. So he would, the first chapter, looking at him, is talking more about what Jurgen Klopp changed this past season in terms of how he was used as a, a player in the half space. He was more of a playmaker, but then we go on to talk about things like how the defenders work in possession, the importance of the six, the pressing as a playmaker. And then later on, the further chapters are more individual player basis. So uh, I look at players like Roberto Firmino and, and Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah, Roberto Firmino, all of these players looking at their individual roles within those concepts. So first we, we break down the concepts and then we show exactly how each player or each key player that I've picked out works within that kind of tactical structure and framework, if you like. And that's how I kind of pull everything together. Yes, I mean, obviously there are lots of books out there available on, on Jurgen Klopp, but I think fair to say that they're probably more in the, in terms of like biographies. So this this certainly is very different to anything else that's out there because just as it says on the uh, on on the book, you know, you that you actually take a look at the tactical concepts that are underpinning Liverpool's success under Klopp. So it is a very sort of specific genre. Yeah, I think that was important to me. I've read quite a few of the European club biographies that are out there, and there's some excellent books. And because Liverpool have also been so successful over the last couple of years, you're seeing more and more books coming out, kind of talking about this in a more general sense. And a lot of them are fantastic books. The the idea, the reason that I think I wrote a book in the first place was that I wanted to read a book on Pep Guardiola's tactical concepts, but there was nothing there. So I kind of thought, well. That's not there, and I want to read it. I better just write it. So I, I ended up writing the book, and it's the same with this one. It's it's more a case of I think that this adds a little bit something different, if you like, because again, we're not trying. I'm not trying to overcomplicate things, and I'm not trying to use language that that makes these tactical concepts sound like something that you couldn't go out and do with a Sunday league team if you had the time or the will or the the want to do so. Because you can. It's not to say it'll work, because you've got to remember that. These coaches have got world-class players at their disposal, but if you wanted to, to read the chapter and how Trent Alexander-Arnold plays, you could go out on a pitch on a Sunday and try and replicate that if you wanted to be a right-back. But the whole point is trying to make sure that people who, 
who wanted to read about this could read about this without thinking that they, they needed to do so with a thesaurus, if you like. Yeah, and I mean, just just on that with, with Klopp and, and the whole like the, the tactical side of it, then often you'll hear pundits try to simplify things of, of Liverpool under Klopp just being they're about pressing, they're about the attacking full-backs or it's the front three. I suspect that obviously, as you've alluded to, that in the book you, you you really kind of reveal that there's so much more to it than that in the intricacies of the system. Yeah, I think I think that's important. I mean, we all remember when Jurgen Klopp was first appointed by Liverpool and how many newspaper articles or, or blog posts or tweets or Facebook posts did you see talking about gegenpressing? Suddenly, gegenpressing was the, the hot topic in, in around English football because everyone thought that Jurgen Klopp was going to take his tactical game model from, from Borussia Dortmund and he was going to implement it wholesale at Liverpool. And, and that was never going to be the case, I don't think. I mean, we, we've seen coaches in the past. Pep Guardiola is an example of a coach who's come over to English football and he's had to adapt his game model a little bit to kind of suit the English game. And, and, Pep, and Jurgen Klopp is exactly the same. There is pressing. I mean, he talks about pressing as a, a playmaker, the best playmaker there is, because if his team can win the ball back from the opposition close to the opposition goal, then they've got a good chance of creating a chance on goal. That's that's a good concept to have. But it's not just about the pressing. It's more about the, the nuances behind that. So what I've tried to do, I think, is take each positional group. So we, we talk about how the defenders work when they're in possession. We talk about the functional midfield because sometimes the Liverpool midfield's not given the credit that it deserves and that that midfield of Vinaldum on the left and Fabinho as the sixth and then Henderson is on the right. It's it's more nuanced than people give it credit for because yes you have the the pressing of Jordan Henderson because he he operates best in chaos and he likes to, to run and close down and press and, and chase and harry the ball. But then you have the more balanced approach of Gini Vinaldum, who is one of the best players in the Premier League when it comes to blocking passing lanes from the opposition. So the opposition find it really hard to pass down his side of the field because his position is so good and the way that he keeps players in his cover shadow. And then you have Fabinho on top of that, who Pepin Linder, a Liverpool coach, is referenced as the lighthouse of this Liverpool team because he is their reference point through everything. And there's so much in the midfield and, and it's often overlooked because people just talk about how good the fullbacks are and the fullbacks are fantastic. How good the front three are, the front three are fantastic, but so is the midfield. This Liverpool side wouldn't have been as good as they are without having a midfield that fulfilled the role that it did. And I think that's something that needs to get more credit than it does, perhaps. And that's something certainly that I tried to take out in the book. And that, that's not to say that the other things you touched upon aren't important because the, the passing range of passing vision and ability to break lines of Trent Alexander-Arnold, the, the running power of Andy Robertson who can hold the left flank and move up and down all day long. And then, of course, the attack and prowess of Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah and Roberto Firmino, all of that is important. But the whole thing is important as a whole. And it was kind of important for me to be able to to break down the structure and explain how everything works together because if everything doesn't work in and complement one another then it just all breaks down. I mean as you as you'd mentioned, you know, with Klopp 
<clears throat> obviously very well known for the gig impression at Dortmund uh, and was you know quite sort of stuck with the 4-2-3-1 system there and and as and as you mentioned as well you know that was it everybody thought coming in that was it you know Klopp would be playing a certain way Klopp would be playing a certain system a certain formation and and obviously it, it's over time it has changed but I mean, how much do you think he's evolved tactically from from his time at Dortmund to to where he is now? Beyond that, you know, simply switching to four three three. Yeah, I think it's been a huge evolution, a huge change for them. I think that, I mean, I often talk about this this one concept at Borussia Dortmund that we used to see towards the end of of Klopp's reign at kind of the, the peak of their powers, if you like, and if. A player was in possession for Dortmund in his own half and he was under pressure and there wasn't a forward pass on. You would sometimes see the player hit the ball into the corners of the pitch. And he was quite happy to put the ball out for a throw in high up in the opposition half or just to drop the ball in there to make the defender go back and get it. The goalkeeper come out. And they used this pass, this ball that looked like a loose ball, a misplaced pass. They used that is the reference point for the press and they would counter press so aggressively on that ball that it became very difficult then for the opposition to play out from that position and and that was kind of where that Dortmund team ended up if you like from the full evolution of, of Klopp's time at Dortmund because there were different iterations of it but it all centred around this aggressive idea of counter pressing and then attacking transitional football from there. I think that the decision to go to a 4-3-3 as opposed to a 4-2-3-1 is purely based on occupational spaces on the pitch. Because if you look at that 4-2-3-1 and you look at the Liverpool 4-3-3, players are still kind of occupying the same kind of roles. You see Roberto Firmino in possession for Liverpool will often drop back in the 10 role and that leaves space for Mane and Salah to attack inside. That gives you that same kind of movement and Firmino then becomes the reference point as the 10, which is exactly what Sinji Kagawa did for Dortmund. Um, but beyond that, out of possession, the three midfielders, because like we've already talked about, they each have an individual role in the Liverpool system. I think that's become really important as the base for everything that makes Liverpool tick, if you like. So I think that over the years, Klopp has kind of evolved his ideas of exactly how and when to occupy space on the pitch more than anything else. And I think it, it goes beyond formations and, and tactical systems and all these things. It just becomes about which zones of the pitch your players are taking up when they've got the ball and which zones are taken up when they don't have the ball. And the 4-3-3, I think, lends him flexibility to be able to do everything that he wants to in possession and out of possession. I've, I, mean, I want to talk slightly a, a little bit about the uh, the pressing in there, but first, ju- just one little thing then uh, in terms of like formation out of possession, you will sometimes see, don't you? Uh, Liverpool kind of move into a four four two formation out of possession, and that was something you were seeing from Dortmund in the last sort of year or two of his reign there. So, do you think there there, there are still some of those similarities? in that time, uh, over that time frame from Klopp, you know, that there are still some things, despite all the evolutions. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think that a coach like Jurgen Klopp would ever tear up the entire tactical model, if you like. There are elements in there which will translate really well over to English football. But the the 4-4-2 out of possession for Liverpool as well is kind of a, a sop, if you like, to Mohamed Salah because as much as Salah will press initially in the, the the defensive transition, 
he's not a player who's comfortable chasing back. He likes to stay high and to conserve his energy. And by having Sadio Mane tuck in on the left-hand side, that then allows, obviously, Jordan Henderson to move over to the right, and then you have Fabinho and Vinaldo centrally in that 4-4-2 out of possession. It lets, uh, it lets Mohamed Salah stay high in positions where he could be really effective in attack and transition. So I think it's just about being creative and being sensible in a way with the individual player IDs that you have in your team. So I think that if, for example, Alex Oakley's Chamberlain played on the right of the attack, I think that the 4-4-2 out of possession wouldn't quite happen that way. It might be more of a, a 4-4-1-1. You see Sadio Mane perhaps moving slightly higher just so he can use his pace in transition. So there are definitely things that the Jurgen Klopp has taken with him from German football. And, and that's only right, because we can't forget that he was a, a fantastically successful coach and who didn't love watching that Dortmund type team, who, who doesn't want to see that kind of football played, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, they were an absolute joy to watch. It was, it, it was breathtaking at times, it really was. And it was the emotion and everything that was just captured by it. I mean, they... It was well. It, it was heavy metal football as as it was uh, marketed. Exactly. I mean, he, he had it right, didn't he? That that was what that was on the pitch from first minute to last minute. They ran and they ran and they ran, but they did it effectively in, in moments of attack and transition. They were so deadly and so technical in the final third, and they, they had players like Robert Lewandowski, who's still the best number nine in world football. And he was on his way to that point then. You think about the players that they had at the time, Neil Gundogan and Matt Hummels and all these different components of that team. It, it really was a, a fantastic time to be watching Dortmund play. Yeah, and um, I mean, just what you mentioned in there, I mean, in terms of the pressing, and as you said, you know, it was non-stop, the running, you know, run, run, run. And that kind of almost was like the downfall towards the end, wasn't it? The talk of the injuries and yeah. and sometimes we'll get caught late in games because the players were so tired from pressing so much. I, I mean, that was something kind of put fired against Klopp in his early maybe couple of seasons at Liverpool. Would you say it's it's fair to to point out that the pressing has changed over his tenure and it and it's now it's not quite so intense and full-on and consistent throughout a game as it was. It's more it's more thought and staggered and almost like, you know, we, we'll pick and choose our times to, to press now. Absolutely, and I think that's important. That's a, almost a nod back to the fact that this past season we've seen Klopp look to exude more control over games as opposed to everything being in chaos, if you like. He's, with players like Jordan Henderson in the midfield, he, he lives in moments of chaos. He, he lives in transition. He he presses. He You win the ball back. He breaks towards the penalty area. That, that's his game to a tee. But I think that Jurgen Klopp wanted Liverpool to become almost more evolved in the way that they controlled games. So you saw the likes of Fabinho and Finaldum especially with more nuanced pressing when they they press the initial turnover so when they lose the ball in the final third you'll see them press just as aggressively you'll see the front three the midfield players the fullbacks even will press to try and regain the ball but only to a point if the opposition are able to break that press or the opposition go back with a safe ball then you're more likely then to see Liverpool drop into a more balanced system out of possession so you'll see them look to 
defend passing lanes when Albin will slow down the attack of the opposition. There, there was one game in particular last season, I think, they were playing against Leicester City, and you saw that Suyonchu, the left-sided centre-back, who's left-footed, of course, as we are talking about earlier on, and Ben Chilwell were having great success progressing the ball down that side. Your, uh, Jordan Henderson was struggling with his aggressive pressing because they were just playing past him. And you saw Liverpool made the slight switch. They, they swapped sides of Vinaldum and, and Henderson. So Gini Vinaldo went over to that side of the pitch and suddenly Leicester couldn't progress the ball on that side anymore because they couldn't play past him, they couldn't play through him. They were having to play over him and that was a, a lower percentage ball that Liverpool could win back. Or they were switching the play to the other side but with that switch of play, you then played in the hands of Jordan Henderson, who likes to press those switches. So it was little moments like that from Klopp that made me think that his his approach out of possession had changed. He, he was now looking for a way to, to force the opposition to make mistakes, other than by being intelligent with positioning with different roles in the pitch, as opposed to just pressing them constantly. So is that something that you, you cover in the book as well in terms of that, that contrast of control and, and chaos? Yeah, that, that's one of the themes in the, the book, I think, when, especially the, the first chapter that you read, it's about Trent Alexander-Arnold. That, that goes into the fact that I thought the last season control was more important. So that was why Trent suddenly became an inverted fullback in that half-space area where he could control the game, whether by diagonal switches to, to Robertson or driven through balls in the feet of Firmino or even further forward with that clipped cross that's kind of become his trademark from that position when he gets the ball set back to him from Jordan Henderson and just wraps his foot around it and he has that trajectory that he puts the ball into the box with. I think that as soon as you, you see that moment, you kind of have that understanding that Liverpool are a little bit more controlled for their phases of play and the way that their patterns of play and the way that they're looking to penetrate the final third the penalty area. There are still moments of, of absolute chaos and what's really interesting to me is that the player that we haven't talked about yet, Naby Keita, um, yes he was injured for a lot of last season but Naby Keita is that perfect blend of a midfielder for me in that he can operate in chaos with the pressing or he can operate in control if you give him the ball, he can break a line of pressure with a pass or a dribble but he can also be press resistant and hold the ball up and let others come into play so that, that's part of the reason I think that Jurgen Klopp was so keen to see him regain fitness because he understands that he adds a different dimension to the Liverpool team. Yeah, I, I think he's, he's such a wonderful talent. I, I must say, personally, I, I thought he was excellent in, in most of the games that he actually played. It was just unfortunate he didn't play enough of them. Um, he's just got that ability, as you say, you know, to do something different. He can carry the ball, you know, when, the, when teams are setting setting a low block and there's no passing angles available, he's the, the, the guy who's got that ability to suddenly change pace in possession and dribble past two players and then completely change the, the whole picture. Exactly. Such an important player to have in the modern game as well. Yeah, I, I think I was thinking back to that... Um, Oh, I'm trying to think which team it was against now. Um, the, the, the LFC TV gave that fantastic um, player's eye view of the pass that he that he made to uh, Sadio Mane to score, and and I think it might have been against Crystal Palace, uh, and it was it, it was just fascinating to see. You know, you talk about that chaos and everything's happening, and he's able to breathe 
and wait for a second or, or a split second until that right moment, and this is all happening in a crowded box, to pick his pass that he threads through people. I mean, it's it's just just incredible. Definitely. It's, it's something that you have to kind of see to behold when, when players are able to do that. It's that with Barcelona, with their pomp, there was a lot of talk about La Posa, and that was Xavi and Iniesta and even Messi and their ability to, to almost stop and the game will be going on around them and they'll have the ball, but they have that ability to slow everything down and just stop and let things develop. And that's something that Keita gives you as much as, as I said, he, he can operate in chaos, he can he can drive forward, he can press, he can do what you want, but he also has that composure. I think they were, I can't remember the game myself, but I remember one in particular when the opposition were starting to come back in the game a little bit and, they both came out to Naby Keita and there was chaos everywhere. And he just put his foot on the ball and kind of put his hands out and gestured to his team to calm down. And, and that was something that really struck me as a player who understands how to control the tempo of a game. Yeah, it's, it's such an important role. I think it's in some ways perhaps similar to, to the one that um, Ilkay Gundogan used to play for, for Klopp uh, at Dortmund. That's right, yeah. Yeah, that, that's exactly. Yeah, he he was the like the general. He ran the show. I think that, that Gundogan. I mean, his role. You're right. His role has evolved a little bit. I think that Manchester City fans are are maybe more critical of Gundogan than they should be. I know that a lot of them were unhappy that towards the end of the season, the midfield altered for Manchester City. And you had Gundogan and Rodri almost forming a double pivot at times and allowing Kevin De Bruyne to play as a ten, which obviously changed the structure to what we've seen from Man City, but. At Borussia Dortmund, if people haven't seen that Borussia Dortmund play, I, I encourage you to, to get on YouTube to find some of their old games and just watch Gundogan, watch how good he is at receiving the ball in tight spaces and being able to turn and break blind. And you're right, that's exactly the kind of skill set that Naby Keita has. And I think that's why Jurgen Klopp was so enamoured with him and wanted him so badly at Liverpool. I mean, and in terms, of, you know, we're we're talking there about his, you know, all his abilities on the ball, and and that's you know that creativity that he adds. Um, you know, Liverpool have been accused, you know, throughout the season, and and certainly it was coming up again in the charity shield or the sorry the community shield uh, against Arsenal that you know Liverpool were lacking enough creativity in that midfield when you see him. Uh, Fabinho, Vinaldum, and, and Henderson lining up as the three, and, and obviously against Arsenal, it was Milner in place of uh, Henderson. And and Liverpool have been strongly linked with a move for Bayern Munich's Thiago. Um, do you think that if that deal were to happen, that Thiago could represent a further evolution of Klopp's system at Liverpool? Because I mean, for all that, I firmly believe that uh, Naby Keita does add creativity obviously injuries have been the issue but you know in, in terms of Thiago and creativity that's his he plays a different role doesn't he that's indeed I think that you're, you're exactly right that they're looking for that next step that they're not sitting back and, and accepting success for what it is now they're, they're looking to evolve further which is a sign of, of a great champion if you like that willingness to take the next step um, I think that there were a couple of times last season, two games in particular come to mind. The first game against Carlo Ancelotti's Napoli in the Champions League group stage where Napoli completely shut the threat of Liverpool down. They they played a, a 4-4-2 and it was a 4-2-4 in possession, a 4-4-2 out of possession. 
but the two wide midfielders were so aggressive against the Liverpool fullbacks when Liverpool had the ball that Liverpool couldn't find any ball progression in wide areas. Now, when that happens for Liverpool, their next step is to look to Van Dijk, especially to progress the ball and to see the ball coming into the centre of the pitch where Joe Matip as well is very good at, at stepping forward and progressing the ball through his runs in the midfield. And they were looking for those passes, but the two forwards for Napoli pressed high up in the, the centre-backs. And you saw that Liverpool kind of struggled to find the answer to that because the midfield wasn't creative enough, despite having a three versus two numerical advantage in the centre of the field, they weren't creative enough to find a way to break them down. And there was a similar thing against Sheffield United, and I think it was the first game they played last season when I think it ended 1-0 when Gini Vinaldo managed to get a shot under the, the body of Dean Henderson somehow. But up until that point, Chris Wilder's team had completely negated the threat of Liverpool through that same mechanism. They were aggressive against the full-backs and they, they didn't let the centre-backs have comfortable possession. So I think taking a player like Thiago and putting him in the midfield, because yes, Thiago is, is possibly one of the most creative and technical midfielders in world football, but I think what a lot of people over the last year especially have missed out on is that his defensive metrics are also absolutely unbelievable. He presses, he regains the ball, he, he blocks passively and has interceptions, and then his work rate off the ball almost matches his ability on the ball. So Jurgen Klopp's obviously hoping to be able to put him into that midfield, and suddenly that's a, a third mechanism for ball progression in the same side. I also think that against some teams who'll sit really deep and be really defensive and look to, to nullify Liverpool that way, I think that there are some games where you might even see Thiago and Naby Keita in the same midfield, and, and that would be a sight to behold for Liverpool. Oh, that, <laughs> that could be something. Uh, dribbling, passing, everything, yeah. Um, so uh, if that, I mean, again, hypothetically, were that deal to happen, do you think that necessarily means a change of system for Liverpool, for Thiago to play? Or, or do, do you feel that the the three can still work with, with Thiago taking one of those one of those roles? Yeah, the three should still work. I mean, this past season, it was a 4-3-3, but in possession quite a lot of the time, because we talked about Jordan Henderson being this, this member of chaos who, in possession, he'll just drive forward. He'll either go wide to open the space for Arnt, for Trent to come inside, or he will go up towards the penalty area. That, that's just his game. That's why he was never suited to play as a six, because he wants to go forward. He wants to join the attack. He wants to make things happen. But when that happened, you almost saw Vinaldo and Fabinho then operate as a double pivot. So it almost became a 4-2-3-1 with Henderson going forward and those two midfielders sitting deeper. For Bayern Munich towards the end of the season in particular under Hansi Flick, we saw Thiago playing as part of that double pivot with his ability to break lines. And obviously as a passer of the ball, there's probably, he probably doesn't have many peers in world football, perhaps Kevin De Bruyne that ability to play that incisive line-breaking pass. And I think that we would see Thiago step into that kind of role. Whether that means Vinaldum has a different role, I mean, obviously there's a contract situation with Vinaldum, which may be playing a role here, you never know. Um, he also gives you the option of then if Fabinho is not fit, or if, Trent, if Fabinho has to play it right back to release Trent to have a, a rest and Nico Williams isn't there, Fabinho can play centre-back if need be. You could quite easily fit Vinaldo and Thiago in as the the six and put the left side to date, if you like. So it just gives you a little bit of flexibility within the midfield structure, I think. 
Yeah, we saw. I mean, we've seen Thiago uh, obviously in, in the latter stages of the Champions League playing in 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 there with um, oh. Uh, Leon Goretzka, yeah, I thought his name popped out of my head. Uh, with Kimmich um, moved to to right back uh, temporarily. I mean, but previous to that, throughout the season, there, there was times where Goretzka was actually played almost like as a number ten, was allowed that license, um, and and you had uh, Thiago in there alongside Kimmich. And as you mentioned, you know, Goretzka was almost doing them similar kind of things that um, Henderson's likes to do you know create that chaos getting in and about making the runs into the box so it's you know that there are at times there are similar some sort of similarities there between what Flick's doing with uh, with Bayern and, and uh, Klopp at Liverpool yeah I think that's a really interesting way to see it I think that we, we even saw elements of that I think in the Champions League final where some of the tactical uh, changes in the second half almost opened the game up a little bit more and it was about the movement of, of Thomas Muller. So if you think about the movement of Firmino when he drops back at that 10 role, it's the same thing from Thomas Muller, but he moves almost from the 10, but he moves left and right as opposed to up and down. And when he made those movements, it created space that Goretzka was able to occupy. Then you had Kimmich coming inside in the same way that Trent Alexander-Arnold does from right back into the inverted position, which created that kind of double pivot with Thiago and then that's when Thiago started to find those line-breaking passes to Muller and Goretzka. And that's certainly something, the same kind of concepts that you do see from Liverpool. So, I mean, I guess, in you, again, you this is all covered in the book in terms of this, you know, you know, this evolution that, that we've, we've talked about, just how much it's happened under Klopp, you know, from, obviously, from that time at Dortmund to what we see now, just how much he has evolved and adapted and changed as a coach. Yeah, I mean, I think that was one of the, the important parts. That's what makes Klopp so interesting to me from a tactical perspective is the fact that he has been able and willing to evolve because not all coaches are or do. You see some coaches who, who move to a different club, to a bigger club. One of the, the ones that, that's really interesting me at the moment is Thomas Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel, when he was at Mainz and at Borussia Dortmund, was one of my favourite coaches because he was so tactically flexible and versatile and so intelligent with the systems and the matchups and the way that he created opportunities for his team by being clever with how he played. Now he's moved to PSG and he's kind of taken a step back from that and he's become more of a man-manager, if you like, and he's lost that tactical edge a little bit for me. I expected him to try to change the game in the Champions League final in the second half far more than he did for such a tactically astute manager. So you take some coaches, and I firmly believe that Thomas Tuchel, when he does leave PSG, he'll go into another club and he'll be able to rediscover that tactical edge. But you see some coaches who move to a super club, which is kind of what Liverpool are these days, I think we have to acknowledge that, and they almost are afraid to change too much of themselves because they you have that, of course, you've got that innate self-confidence as a, a top-level coach that, you'd be given this opportunity, so it must be because they wanted you, because you were so good. That's almost a natural human emotion and thought process. But I think Klopp has been able to be so objective in his analysis of his own game model that we've seen him willing to make all these changes, to, to put little tweaks in place just to make sure that they're better placed. And we've seen it all come together, but again, the important thing is that everything works together as a whole. 
Would it be fair to maybe say he's almost the antithesis of Jose Mourinho in that respect then? Not just the attacking football, obviously, but in terms of Mourinho, um, you could go back, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago and it, and it's not a lot different to, to what we see now. Yeah, I mean, Jose Mourinho is really, really interesting. I know that I'm sure that we're all watching Tottenham all or nothing at the moment and you're giving a, getting a real insight into to Mourinho as a coach and to a person and to how he works with people. But I always think back to, to Mourinho when he was at Porto when he was first at Chelsea. And he was the, the vanguard of this new evolution of football, if you like, when, when training became all about tactical periodization. And, and he was almost the, the one who came into English football and introduced that. It just feels like he then stopped. It feels like that he hasn't evolved with football the way that other coaches have. You're absolutely right. Like, so, I mean, Guardiola evolved from his time at Bayern Munich. He evolved when he moved from Barcelona to Bayern Munich, despite thinking that he could just take everything at Barcelona wholesale and it would work perfectly in Germany. He then came up against Jurgen Klopp and, and Gegenpressing and thought, oh, that, that's not going to work. I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to become more vertical. I'm going to have to become more transitional. And we saw that happen at Bayern Munich, and we saw the same thing. Pep Guardiola moves from Bayern Munich to Manchester City. And initially, you think that it's just going to be the same. He's going to try and use inverted fullbacks, regardless of who his fullbacks are. And then we saw him evolve because he realised that wasn't going to work. The same thing from Jurgen Klopp. And it's not that it wasn't working. I mean, season before last, they won the Champions League. They, they came within a Vincent Company 35-yarder winning the league in that season. But he still had the objectivity to come away and analyse that season and think we've got to make changes to our game model in order to take the next step. I think that's what makes Klopp so great. Yeah, and hey, what a, what a manager absolutely on top of his game now. Before we go then, Lee, um, I mean, I'm sure most of the listeners already know of your work, but where, where can they catch you on social media? And, of course, perhaps more importantly, is where can people uh, get hold of your copy of your book? Uh, the, the book's available pretty much anywhere. It's available in, on Amazon, on Book Depository, or in any bookshops now. Um, you can pick up a copy pretty much anywhere you go, really. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me on social media, the best place is probably Twitter. That's at FM Analysis, and then I'm always happy to, to chat with people. Uh, and, and that one last question I have to ask, how does that feel when you, you get that book in your hand, that, that, that physical thing of actually holding your work, rather than seeing it digitally, actually physically holding it in your hand? I think that that was the the moment for me when I realised that I had actually actually written a book. Obviously, I went through the process of writing the book and it was edited and I'd, I'd seen it on Amazon and, and online and this was great. It wasn't until I first went into a bookshop and saw a copy in a bookshop and, and actually was able to pick it up, I think, that it really sunk in. I've not been able to do that yet with King Clock because we Aberdeen were in local lockdown up until a week ago so where we haven't really been, been going into town, if you like, into these places. But that was a very special moment, I must admit. Yeah, it's uh, uh, just, I, I can only imagine, I can only imagine. <clears throat> anyway, thank you so much for joining us, Lee. Uh, as always, an absolute pleasure to chat with you, mate. No worries, thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, and, and as I said, look, you know, 
do go out, get a copy of the book. And whilst you're there, get a copy of his Pep Guardiola, uh, Pep Guardiola <laughs> book as, as well. Get them both and read them and enjoy them and learn and just take it all in. So my thanks to, to Lee for joining me and uh, make sure, as I said, do make sure you check out both of his books, the, the Pep Guardiola and the Jurgen Klopp one, both fantastic reads. Uh, my thanks to each and every one of you for listening and I do hope you'll join me again next time but until then from me Andy Wales that's it from the dugout for this time uh, bye bye now <laughs>